Wellness is a word that means we're willing to engage the challenges of life and use them as opportunities to become truly whole human beings. Wellness is a willingness to grow and to participate in your life and to cultivate the relationships with the people that have the intelligence to help make you well in the areas where you lack intelligence and to be willing to share the intelligence that you've gained with that same person who may know more about food or exercise than you but can't balance a checkbook or isn't sure what the best car to buy is. That's Paul Check, and this is episode 228 of Wellness Force Radio. Welcome to part three in our final episode of this special edition series with the one and only Paul Check. We've saved the very best for last, where in this final podcast with Paul, we uncover how to identify where we're out of balance and how a holistic approach in developing core values can help us heal. What Paul believes is the cause of rising depression in our nation, what we can do about it. Audience questions from the Wellness Force community, and we explore the change. Where do we go from here? Defining consciousness and psychic exploration is one thing, but when it comes to the revolution, Paul speaks to us in depth about having a loving relationship with ourselves and other people, including understanding the polarity that exists between men and women of masculine and feminine, where Paul shares vulnerably about his own relationship with his wife and absolutely rocks the microphone with the most powerful definition of wellness we've ever had on the show. The revolution is coming and it starts with you. Be sure to go to checkinstitute.com forward slash wellness force to get your free healthy core checklist. This guide will give you a starting point to address common rest and diet and work-life balance stressors that cause gut inflammation. Download the free guide, assess your current core function at checkinstitute.com forward slash wellness force. Now let's drop in for the final podcast in our series, which meant so much to me personally. You know, I've shared in our community at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. I actually had a revelation in sitting with Paul. You know, he is such a powerful presence in person, and I was unable to escape my own truth. And the truth was that I've written to everyone who listens in our newsletter that I was out of integrity. And this interview brought that out of me. I learned quite a bit about myself, you know, being a podcaster and driving the show forward and making all these things happen every week. In the past year, I let go of my personal practices. And the cost of that was me stepping out of my truth, me being out of alignment. And this show really brought that out of me. And I think you're going to hear it in my voice and even in the way that you feel where the inventory can be taken. It's a perfect time for the inventory for all of us. Where are we out of alignment? Where are we out of integrity with the way that we eat, move and sleep and also our thoughts, feelings and actions? This is going to be a powerful one with Paul Check. If you want to be a great big wave surfer, then you're going to quickly find out what works and what doesn't work. And you're going to have to ask questions and you're going to have to, you're, look, Hegel was a great philosopher. Hegel showed that all ideas go through three stages, which I would add a fourth stage to. First is thesis. Your dream is a thesis. I want to become a great podcaster and share great messages with the world. That's the thesis. Well, then you say, well, let me do it. Oh, well, you need special equipment and you need somebody to listen to your podcast. So you got to market yourself and you got to have interesting guests or no one's going to listen. <laughs> and you find out, well, I'm really going to have to develop myself 
to know how to ask good questions. I have to learn how to lead an interview. I've got to find great people to capture it on film. I've got to be, I've got to study relationships because if I don't have good relationship skills, I won't be able to maintain relationships with the kind of people that I want to interview. Do you see my point? Absolutely. So the antithesis is the work of becoming, of crafting yourself, right? When they asked Michelangelo, how did you carve David? How did you do that. He said, I just cut everything out of the way that was in the way of my vision of David. What's he saying? The potential was always there. It could have been David. It could have been Madonna. It could have been anybody. But he cut out what was in the way of his dream. So the antithesis is being honest about looking at our own beliefs and our own behaviors and saying, is that congruent with my dream or is it a a negative force, you know, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. So where's your crisis getting in the way of your dream? Step number one, what is my dream? Step number two, where am I out of balance relative to my dream? If I'm eating, sleeping, or lack of sleeping, lack of moving or too much movement, or thoughts in my head that are contradictory or self-defeating, then that's throwing me out of balance. So once, and that's my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, especially the new one that has the four doctor sections in it, takes you through a, a very good analysis of which systems in your body are in or out of balance, and it shows you exactly what to do about it. And the first thing you gotta do to accomplish any dream is get your body healthier. You won't have the energy to make the changes. You won't have the energy to do the work of creating a dream worth living. Two, a sick body has sick emotions, and that's a hard road, and a sick body has a sick mind. The mind and the body mirror each other, as above, so below, as below, so above. So when we really get committed to creating beauty or to creating something meaningful for ourselves or to doing the things that give us the opportunity to feel engaged and to feel inspired and to feel loved and to hang out with other people that inspire us and engage us, then we start becoming an inspiring, interesting, engaging person and everybody you run into, it, uh, it rubs off on them, mm -hmm. right? The greatest teacher is the silent teacher. The greatest lover is the silent lover. How many times have you been in a supermarket or some store somewhere or standing at a car wash and you saw somebody get out of their car and you knew instantly whoever that person was. They were a badass athlete or they were a highly intelligent person. You could smell it in the mm -hmm. air. It's a sense. You have a yeah. sense inside of you. That's what it means. The silent lover, you see some old lady walking through the shopping mall, but somehow you know she's a wise old woman and she's there's something unique about her. She hasn't said a word. This is truly the definition of vibration. Like it we is all, we vibration. all emit vibration. Hey. There is nothing but vibration in the Everything's vibration. Even this table, even though, it, even though it looks it's solid. It's scientifically proven. If people just pay attention to what science has shown them, what is an atom? You look into an atom, it's 99.999 to the ninth decimal point empty. It's a field of vibration. Yeah. And what do we do? We can show you in two seconds using muscle testing. All you got to do is think the thought, I'm strong, and just muscle test yourself. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. And then say, I'm weak, I'm weak. And you, no matter how hard you try, your body believes your mind like the word of God. So getting your mind right is important. But if you keep poisoning your body, then 
you have a bunch of sick cells that go into a state of fear and they commandeer your survival reflexes, jack up your adrenaline and cortisol, put you into fight or flight reaction. And as I tell my students, it's never a wise idea to throw in a cartwheel when you're running from a lion, which means don't try novel things when you're sick or broken Yeah, because you have to stay totally focused or you're going to die. The basics are not sexy, but the basics are so important. The Eating, basics moving, are, and sleeping, right? They're you're, simple. Your four doctors in the sake of time just... People are going to dig into the show notes, but tell us the four doctors and when did that come to you? Uh, what happened was is even my most advanced students started coming to me about 2004, 2005, and people that were really intelligent going, Paul, you know, I love everything you're teaching us, but now that I'm like a check level three or level four... I have so much information that I sometimes am not sure where to start because I have so many tools. How do I know where to begin? And I realized, wow, okay, I have a lot of clinical experience, so I already have this process built into me, right? I'm like a skilled mechanic that knows when to use the tools and for how long. So I realized I have got to figure out a way to synthesize this material down into a simpler system so that they gather the most important information first because then they know what tools to use to help people get to the simple path. And so I started meditating and, and, and just saying to my soul, I need your help to, to simplify everything that I've learned or that we've learned. I talked to my soul as a partner. And it was interesting because I'd had this course on herbology on audio CD that I'd had sitting in my library for a couple of years and all of a sudden my soul directed me to this course I just felt like it was I was being pulled over there and at the time I wasn't really that interested in herbology I was too involved in other things and I'm listening to this course which I do while I exercise because I like to study while I move and all of a sudden the herbologist giving the course said there is a Roman proverb. The Romans believed whenever anybody got sick or had health problems that it was one of three doctors. Doctor quiet, which meant they weren't getting enough rest. Doctor diet, which meant they were eating things that were making them unhealthy. And doctor um, happiness, which means that they were doing things that didn't inspire them. And I immediately had a light bulb go off and go, aha, that's very correct, except they're missing one doctor, doctor movement, because back in those days, people were, you know, it was- They just moved for life. Well, it was a workout just to do your laundry. Exactly. I mean, it was, people weren't sedentary. Um, and I immediately realized why my soul wanted me to listen to the course. And so I wrote that down and I took all my teachings and I broke it all the mental, emotional, and the conscious development stuff and the dream development stuff became Dr. Happiness, which is correlates to the mind. Then I said, okay, I'm going to take all my movement information, my working out. I developed a concept of working in. I took a, a, a Chinese concept and converted it into a Western ideology and uh, called it working in because working Tai Chi breathing movements, qigong, anything where you produce more energy per unit of time than it costs you is working in. Working out is meaning you're spending more energy and resources per unit of time uh, 
than your, uh, in other words, it costs you more to do it than your body can generate. Like, for example, moving generates energy, mm-hmm. but moving at a high enough intensity or volume depletes you of energy. That's why you have to rest, or if you keep training too hard, you'll break down, you'll, and you'll burn your adrenals out. So I said, okay, I'm going to categorize movement into these two polarities, yin and yang. Yang is working out, yin is working in, and if you do this much of that one, you have to have that one or you'll burn yourself out. And then I'm going to take all my diet information because that was well-developed, and there you're going to have the diet doctor diet section, and I'm going to show you how to use muscle testing, and I'm going to show you how to use logging, and I'll show you how to use soul connection so eating becomes a spiritual practice. Then I'll take the science of rest, so I broke rest down into active, passive, and total. Total is sleep. Active rest is using your chosen sport uh, or exercise activity as significantly reduced intensity so that it's restorative, not destructive. Passive is using another form of exercise that uses different movement patterns and muscle groups so you can stay active. Like, for example, I used to have boxers do shadow boxing in neck deep water on passive rest days because they got hydrotherapy out of it. It was exhausting, but it was nourishing to the body it aided circulation it decompressed joints we had a lot of problems with too much impact wrist injuries shoulder injuries from hitting heavy bags and hitting bodies all the time Mm -hmm. so i implemented swimming and hydrotherapy exercises on uh, each week we would do that and that caused a significant reduction in their discomforts in their body um, a distance runner might for example do some uh, rowing they might use a rowing machine or they might they might do some light weightlifting. They might take a yoga class. Those would be effective forms of passive exercise. So I taught my students how to use the science of rest, how the hormonal cycles follow the sun and the moon, why you have to get to bed. All this is in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. It doesn't matter how late you want to stay up. The sun's moving, and mm-hmm. it's governing your hormonal system, and you're driven by the environment. You're inner experience is driven by terrestrial and extraterrestrial forces far greater than you. And if you don't stay in tune with them, you are going to pay the price. And all the pills at the doctor's office are usually just compensations for not being in harmony with the wisdom of nature. So I basically built out, which then became my book, The Last Four Doctors You'll Ever Need, which was interesting because right around that time, I had just gotten a phone call from one of Dan Millman's publishing people, and he is had done The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and they wanted to find somebody that had some good holistic information to sell with his book. And I, I don't know what their connection was to him, but that was uh, what they told me. And so they were selling his book and a few other ones, and they asked me, would I produce, they, they said they'd been surveying the market and found my stuff to be the most holistic of anything they could find out there. And so I said, yes, I will actually write you a book called The Last Four Doctors You'll Ever Need. And I wrote that book in one week while I was teaching a holistic lifestyle coach level two class at an eco resort in Australia. Mm. And now that book is inside of How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. No, the, the new key version. points are, the book's much got much more in it, but wow. I took the key fundamentals and put it right into the beginning of How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. So you apply the four-doctor model. You identify what your dream is. You use the questionnaires in How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy to identify where you're out of balance, because that's step number two in my system, is where am I out of balance? You then 
go through each of the doctors, I explain what they mean, and I show you how to develop core values. So my core values around movement are, my core values around food are, my core values around rest are, and my core values around what is happy making for me. And as I say to my students, your yes has no value until you learn to say no. And until you know what your own value system is, you'll eat anything, you'll stay up late at night, you'll poison yourself, and you'll work at a job that doesn't make you happy because you haven't learned how to say no to move your energy in alignment with your dream. Mm. So I wrote the Four Doctors ebook, and then I had a shocking experience. I had even some of my more advanced students and even instructors coming back to me and going, oh my God, Paul, I read the Four Doctors, and now I actually understand so much more about what you were saying and how to eat, move, and be healthy. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. You're telling me that reading the four doctors helped you understand how to eat, move, and be healthy? I mean, this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago or whenever. And so what I realized is that I had fallen into the trap of the American mind or the Western mind always valuing complexity. And that if it wasn't... See, when I started talking about water and breathing, people just went to sleep in class. Yeah. So what I had to do is I had to razzle-dazzle my students, and I fell hook, line, and sinker. So I started keeping them entertained by dazzling them with very technical, elaborate information. You had to make a living. I did, but I learned that they weren't practicing what I was teaching them because it wasn't interesting and complicated enough, and they took it for granted. And so... What happened is when I actually explained the simple with much more detail, which in these more advanced classes I didn't do because I made the assumption that they knew how important sleep was, they knew how important breathing was, things that we would talk about as it relates to what you do with patients. I was already doing all this. I was a master of this stuff. I made the assumption that if they were in an advanced class that they knew this and that they were doing it, and I could see right away a lot of them weren't, and I pulled many of them aside and say, look, what are you doing telling people how to breathe better when you can't breathe? What are you doing telling people to eat better when you're covered in zits? You know, but the key point is once I wrote The Four Doctors, it expanded the concept enough to click in their head, yeah. and then they would read How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, and I had people telling me, I've had people tell me I've, they've read that book 10 times, and they still see lots of stuff that they missed the previous nine times. And I said, well, look, let me tell you, I wrote How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy because it dawned on me after about the 13,000th patients in a row having to say, look, this is what your poop should look like. This is how much water you should drink. This is some of the symptoms of food reaction. This is the symptoms of parasite infection. In other words, I was a broken record. And I thought, damn it, everybody's got these problems. If I have to tell everybody this shit, why do I want to wait till they're broken so I took all the patient handouts I'd been developing for years and hiring a professional artist to take my sketches and make them pretty. And that's why there's so many pictures and how do you move and be healthy? Which is the coolest part. That's why the book has been so successful. And, and we're going to link this book in the show notes too. And I want to give time to the people that really wanted these questions from you too, Paul. Okay, so I'll just finish. So we mm -hmm. finished the yeah. system. So you yeah. got one, what is my dream? Two, where am I out of balance? Three, there's only three choices you can make in relationship to any person, place, or thing. The optimal is the one that's best for you and everybody supporting you in that dream, right? If your dream is to be a better triathlete 
and you're a 35-year-old guy with a wife and two kids, when you come home at night and your dinner's on the table, she's on your dream team. When your kids are watching you and you're inspiring them to take care of their bodies and they love their daddy and he is the silent teacher and the silent lover, then they're on your dream team. So if after you get done working out, you say, screw it, I'm going to go hang out at the bar and drink some beers with my buddies or whatever and skip dinner and your wife's all pissed off and your kids are in bed and didn't get to see daddy, you're making suboptimal choice. That's option two. So there's three options. Option one, what's best for everybody on my dream team? How do I make my life supportive of theirs and vice versa? Option two is, is suboptimal means make a choice that usually gives instant gratification but causes problems on your dream team. Option three is to do nothing. Do nothing has positive and negative applications. The positive application of doing nothing is don't make a choice when you need more information to make an intelligent choice. Call a timeout. The other option is if you're in a heated argument with somebody and you're not able to communicate with that person or stay connected to them and things are starting to go south, call a timeout. Simply say, I feel like we're getting further and further from each other and because I love you or because I have respect for you, I need to call a timeout and I'll come back when I'm composed and we can do this productively. Yeah. So that's the two positive options of doing nothing. The worst thing you can do is be apathetic, to not care. To be apathetic means to not care. So you just eat your crap and stay up late at night and, you know, poor me, and you hear about so-and-so having this problem and you just don't give a shit, that's apathy. That's the opposite of love. Most people think mm -hmm. hate is the opposite of love. It's not. Apathy is. If you hate someone, it's actually a form of love because if you say, I hate you, Paul, then I know you keep me very close to you. Mm -hmm. There's energy there. There's so energy there and, you, the energy. and you're holding me very close. Hating someone is, is essentially like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. So... Hating is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is not caring. And we're at a place right now where so many people are apathetic to the situation of the world. They don't realize that that is a choice. To not choose is to choose. And I, yeah. I tell people, if you want to see how powerful not choosing is, when the bill for your car comes in or your mortgage bill comes in, just do nothing and see how long that lasts before someone comes and takes your car away and yeah. moves a furniture truck to take your stuff out of your house and sell it, and you'll be in a jail cell all for doing nothing. Step number four is there's only four doctors. Doctor, doctor happiness, doctor diet, doctor quiet, and doctor movement. So what's my dream? Where am I out of balance? What choices am I willing to make to live those four doctors? Which means I establish a clear set of core values that are dream affirmative, and I know when to say yes, and I know when to say no. And that is how you change the world. And that's fully how you change the world. And so many people are working towards having these be in place, yet when we come to our first question, it's actually Chad from The Paleo Secret. Yeah. Uh, love Chad so much, Chad Walding, Dr. Chad Walding. He, he asked you specifically, um, I'm really interested in what Paul has to say about depression. Yeah, It seems to be getting worse in our society, especially in men. We're seeing a higher rate of suicide every year. What are the true root issues of depression and how can we help each other become more connected, whole and happy human beings? Depression is a very complex issue because like anything in a human being, there is rarely ever one input. You know, if you're walking on the street and you stub your toe, well, it's because you didn't see that the sidewalk was elevated. So we can narrow that right down. But when you say what causes depression, well, let me ask you this. 
if you overexercise and you burn your adrenal glands out and your body's aching and full of inflammation and you keep doing that to yourself, what's happening to your anabolic-catabolic balance? Better or worse? Completely worse. What's happening to your level of sympathetic versus parasympathetic balance? I mean, you're, not, you're gonna be in sympathetic all day long. Good, so you see what's happening? Mm -hmm. The animal of you is constantly trying to tell you through pain and discomfort to stop doing that. And when the body gets depressed because the mind's not listening, the only thing you can do is start listening to your body or you will stay in a state of depression. Just go through each of the doctors. If you eat a bunch of poisonous, toxic food and you eat animals that are depressed because they're caged and being tortured their whole life, well, look, you don't have to be a genius to think, well, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. If you look at the book Blueprint for Immortality by Harold Saxon Burr, who is a very, very amazing university professor at Yale University, and all the way back in, in the 1940s, Harold Saxonberg did groundbreaking research, and I'm telling you about this for a very reason, and it correlates to depression. Harold Saxonberg identified what was then called the L field, the life field. He realized that there's electrical current running through cells and there's electrical current all around the body. So he was probably one of the first ones to actually scientifically document that there was an energy field running through and in the body. Of course, the Tibetan monks knew this 900 years ago, but that's not the point. So he had this idea, knowing that water's a conductor of electricity, and I'm sure he had other thoughts. He thought, I wonder what'll happen if we water plants with water that's been held onto by healthy students and water that's been held onto by mentally sick people. So he got a whole bunch of seedlings, all of the same plant genus. He broke them into two groups and he got glass jars of mason jars of water and he had his students in his own classes hold on to the water for two or three hours and then he watered that the one group group a from his student base then he took mason jars to hospitals to psych wards where people were locked up and he got them to interact with the water as much as he could and he watered group b with the same water from the same tap but held by psychologically ill people, and he grew those plants. And when you look at the pictures of the plants that were watered by the water that was held by psychologically ill people, it'll shock you. The plants did not grow toward the sun. They were crooked. Their branches, they all look like crippled people. They're, they, they were all tangled, and their plants often grew down toward the earth, not toward the sun. And so the only difference was the water, and the difference in the water was the energy. And remember I said earlier in our show, water has an almost infinite capacity to carry information. And so the psychic information about their state of mind and their emotions was imprinted into the water. And when he watered plants with it, it made the plants sick, and they didn't even grow toward the sun. Now let's go back to this fact. What percentage of the food people are eating from the eggs they're eating to the chickens they're eating to the fast food restaurants to the steak that you're buying? Everything raised on a corporate farm is animals being tortured, drugged up, full of antibiotics. Look, they have approved dead animal reins, sawdust, engine oil, cement 
dust, and many other things are allowed to be fed to animals on commercial farms. And what do they find? It fattens them quicker. Why? Because it's poisoning them. But when they sell animals, they don't do body fat checks and pay them by the pound of lean muscle. So they've actually figured out that you can use animals as receptacles for junk. They give all the f grains that have high levels of mycotoxins that can't be fed to humans, they feed them to animals in commercial farms. So you fill them full of fungal mycotoxins. So imagine being an animal that's used to ranging on the range, living a normal life, chickens eating insects, flying in the air, and now all of a sudden you're held captive and poisoned and tortured for your whole life. And remember, those bodies are 70% water. So when you eat the body of a sick animal, you're drinking the water and now go back to Harold Saxonburg's research and you ask me, what is depression? Depression is what we're doing to nature. And if you create depression in the creatures that you eat, then they give it back to you. Now, psychologically speaking, Depression can be said to be a fear that yesterday will be tomorrow. Depression is the fear that yesterday will be tomorrow. You understand that? Mm -hmm. In other words, the same husband that drives me nuts, the same yeah. bills, the same problems. It's like a terrible Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah, and so anxiety is fear of tomorrow. So what's going to happen to me tomorrow is anxiety, and depression is... Now I've been anxious long enough, I know it is going to happen tomorrow, and I believe it. And once you believe it, you're done. <laughs> you're depressed. And, and you know, uh, barring a good shamanic ceremony that wakes you up or a crisis that forces you to look deeply into yourself and yeah. figure out what God really is instead of reading books that make people depressed called religious books. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Chad just got back from 40 days of ceremony in the jungle, which he has all over social media. I want to go to the next question. This yeah. is from my brother, James, my okay. brother. We better uh, do a good job then. James said, Paul, how do I carve out time in my busy schedule? I know it's important to stay disciplined and consistent, uh, but doing exercise, all these things get in the way of it happening. The spirit is willing, but the calendar is packed, especially as a parent of three children. I could totally visualize him saying that. Yeah. Well, look, I'm a father. I have a 38-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And what he's asking about is the, is the Western conundrum. So when people come to me in a crisis state, which is a lot of them, the first thing I do is say, get out a calendar. And I, your homework is to identify when you're going to eat a proper meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're going to write on your calendar what your preferred time for exercise is. You're going to write down when you're going to go to bed. You're going to write down when you're going to give yourself unbound play. If you got kids, you're going to write down what time you'll be home so you can eat with kids or you're, when you're going to play with the kids. You're going to write down when you're going to do your spiritual practice to worship life and celebrate life and connect to that which is greater than you. And when you bring that back to me, and they do, and I say, okay, now you build your schedule around that. Because if those things aren't happening, all you're doing is working to pay doctors and buy pills and medicate your anxiety and your depression because something deep inside of you says you can't keep playing that game, you're going to die doing that. And depression is, why do you keep doing something you know didn't work over and over again? Anyhow, Osho says the only 
there's no such thing as a sin except doing something twice when you didn't know it, you know it didn't work the first time. Osho also says God is a verb, not a noun, meaning we got to stop talking about God and start being more loving and more godly, and we got to start with ourselves. I teach yeah. I, we all. So the answer is you have to decide what's important to you. And if that job that you have, your brother has, won't allow him to live that way, then he's got to find a different job that'll allow him to live that way. If he's got to sell his house and move somewhere where it's less expensive to live so he can actually live, then that's what you got to do. Cut your overhead back, get clear on what is life producing and what is just working to keep rich people rich and burning you out. Or you're always going to have those problems. And that's, I've had, look, I've had people second mortgage their houses to come see me. I've had people have to change jobs and, and spiritual growth and development is scary, but it's not as scary as living a life not lived. I think that was probably like the biggest comment for me of our whole conversation because it almost made me like have a cry feeling because I've seen James suffer and I've seen a lot of people in his place. Millions of men and women are in that suffering. Of course. Where they care about their family. They want safety and security. They want to be in a place where they can provide. It's not just about them anymore. Mm -hmm. Is it the same narrative with the scheduling and the calendar or is there any other pieces to that recipe? Well... Of course, but this is a podcast, and you know, in in therapy, we go into a lot of stuff. But you have to look at, uh, you know, you have to look at what what the word worship means. What is sacred to you, right? And what happens is when money and stuff becomes more sacred than having the energy to make love, play with your kids, go to the gym, breathe, move, and meditate. Well, then you get exactly what you energize. So the point that I'm making is this is a spiritual call to get clear on what the word sacred means and what is it that you're worshiping. And you can see what you're worshiping by where your money goes and where your time goes. And so as Joseph Campbell says, if you want to know what your God is, look what you cannot do without for two or three days. Well, if, if you look at the statistics that show that about 98% of the U.S. population is one paycheck from bankruptcy— we're worshiping stuff, not life. And you look at the average person spends something between seven and nine thousand dollars a year on medical care. Well, if you spent that on organic food and vacations and trips to the dance hall, remember the questions the shaman asks? When did you stop singing? The dancing, the storytelling. When did you stop dancing? Yes. When did you stop enjoying stories? And when did you stop being alone? A lot of these people make themselves super busy because they don't want to be alone with themselves. Why? Because they're so full of religious garbage and so full of uh, judgment from parents and teachers about what they should do and have to do and don't look or do look that they're afraid to be with themselves because they've actually now become a mere image of their parents and their educators. This leads us to the next question because there's a gentleman who's actually done some of your trainings. Uh, he finds himself listening to hard rock like Slipknot and, and different rap music where they're talking yeah. about like bitches and money. Yeah. Uh, what are your views, Paul, on these music styles? Do you feel they're spreading negativity or is this an area of embracing the darkness to complement the light? Well, look, uh, there's lots of research showing what happens to plants when you play different kinds of music. And if you play that kind of music around plants, they'll all get sick and die. And it might be worth considering that your glands and organs 
are all operating on the principle of vegetation. That's why doctors used to call people that had brain injuries vegetables. When your brain is damaged, you become a vegetable because it's not an accident. The glands and the organs of the body operate on the principles of the vegetable kingdom. Steiner and others have shown that very clearly. So the point that I'm making is we talked about the fact that everything in the created universe is based on vibration. Each gland and each organ and each chakra system has a frequency range. So your liver has a range of vibration that it operates normally in. And a person who has got a state of disease, dis-ease, means that the organ system is amped up so high it can no longer repair itself. It has yeah. to go into a rest mode where its frequencies drop down and it goes into sort of a recovery mode, a healing mode. When you're listening to music that pushes the system out of its harmonic frequencies, it's like hitting the keys on a piano with a hammer instead of a finger. It doesn't make music, it makes noise. So one of the things that happens is when, when you eat sick animals and you hang around with unhappy people and you watch garbage on television, you actually find yourself listening to music that is in, in a harmonic resonance with the darkness that you've brought into yourself. So you don't realize that the music that you're attracted to is an outer expression of your inner disharmony. And it may be paradoxically that we're using the law of similars. You know, in homeopathy, if you have the flu, then you use a homeopathic medicine from a plant that induces flu-like symptoms, and the frequencies cancel each other out. So homeopathy is interesting because it actually uses a source of med a medicinal input that actually produces the very symptoms that you have. So if you look at basic physics, if you have a frequency, we'll call it 60 hertz, and you run another frequency added at 60 hertz, when they hit, they tur it turns into zero, and that knocks out the illness. So people may actually be listening to music in an unconscious attempt to use the law of similars to, to neutralize the forces in themselves. The problem is if they keep going back and using the same diet and lifestyle practices, then they need the same homeopathic forever, and now it's not a medicine, it's an addiction. Mm. It's a catharsis as well, because sometimes when we're sad, we listen to sad music. It gives us almost a reprieve. It can. Yeah. Uh, it can. Um, but like anything, if you're listening to sad music when you're sad, but you're not doing things to create happiness, then you're actually just medicating yourself with the illness. Yeah. Catherine asks, I started to work on bringing forth my shadows. Rather than seeking guidance from within, though, I see a lot of people in the spiritual communities preaching to search outward for answers and doing the next workshop in the personal development world. I feel like this is leading to a level of detachment. What are your thoughts on actually the practice of happiness? And is that even a thing? It is, but it's a misconstrued thing. Happiness isn't having everything the way you want it. That's called being childish. True happiness is the willingness to engage the highs and lows of life because what you're aiming for is something that is worth living for, right? My dream is to share as much of my knowledge and wisdom and life experience as I can with the world 
And therefore, each day I live my life, I choose to live a life that if it was emulated by others would be medicine for the world. And I am the only one that can determine, honestly, whether I'm living that. So when I have challenges in relationship or financial challenges, I see those as the natural part. Remember, consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. Lots of money, no money. Overeating, starving. Lots of work, no time to rest, vacation. So once we realize that everything that moves life into existence is these two polarities, and that they're, remember, Buddha said, the only thing that is a universal constant is change. So what happens is our culture has become afraid of change and they've become medicated and they become pacified. So when all of a sudden they lose their job, they're afraid that their life's coming to an end. But instead of saying, oh, well, this must be an invitation from the universe to find something even more exciting to do. But instead they go into a state of depression, they get pills, and now they're trapped and they're on some kind of workman's compensation or medical insurance, and they fall into a spin down because they haven't identified what it means to really have a dream. And remember, a labor of love is sustainable because it makes love. If you're working for money, you've only got money. But if you're working for love, you're making love every day. And as long as you know how to make love, you can get through periods when there's no money. If you know how to make love, even if you get divorced, you still know how to love yourself so you're not codependent on somebody else to make you feel good or make you feel happy, which means you've turned that person into an object. You never really had a relationship with another human being. You had a relationship with some kind of a surrogate uh, mommy or surrogate daddy and when you find out they don't clean their room and brush their teeth like they did when you were dating them you get all upset but you don't realize that the the fact that they're not making you happy means that you should practice making yourself happy so you're in a real relationship because a real relationship means you bring your happiness to the table and you bring your challenges to the table and if you watch in relationships when one's going through a hard time the other one's usually stable when that one's going through a hard time, so we, we see this natural oscillation of the forces of life working through partnerships. So real happiness is understanding the undulations of life or what makes life meaningful, and without them, we couldn't be conscious. For example, if you numb the muscles of the eye, you can't see. You can only see when you have saccades in the eye. The eye is constantly making little movements because if there's no motion, there's nothing to be conscious of. Day and night, high and low, fat, wealthy, poor, beautiful, not so beautiful, strong, not as strong, flexible, not so flexible. You see everywhere in life are these undulations of polarities because they're what the stuff of life is made of. And people have this false impression that happiness is the nullification of the undulation. That's pacification. That's, that's to be on the hind tit of your mommy for the rest of your life. That's not what life is, right? I've watched this in the military. You see all these young guys coming in like, I'm going to be a badass. Well, the next thing you know, there's bullets flying at them and they're freaking out going, oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? Oh my God, I'm going to die. Well, yes, dumb fuck, you joined the military. Did you think you were just going to get food handed to you every day and get to go to some nice clean gym and have everything be perfect? 
you see, what they were doing is they were joining the military to get a paycheck, but they never thought they would actually have to face the realities of war. Well, that's because you shouldn't have been there in the first place. If your dream was to be a soldier, then you want to engage war for the right reasons. So what happens is you get people coming back from the Gulf War and whatever, and they're all shell-shocked and all freaked out. And I have had to say to many of them, what did you actually think was going to happen when you joined the military? It's like being a boxer and not wanting to get hit. Well, that's a very big sign of stupidity, right? There's a big sign in the Callahan Boxing Arena where I was a trainer of the Army boxing team. It says the toughest nine minutes in amateur sports, and it means it. <laughs> it's the hurting game. So how does this relate to happiness? Let me ask you a question. This is an important question. If you could write down all the times in your life when things were just hunky-dory, when you were happy, you had plenty of money, your business was working right, your body felt good, and then I said, now write down all the times when you were really challenged, you were understressed, you were out of money, you were going through a relationship crisis, dot, dot, dot. And then I said, Josh, I'm going to take one of those away from you. It's going to be completely erased from your mind. And before you do that, I want to ask you, which ones of the, which list made you grow more? Made you become more loving? Made you become more aware? Made you wiser? Was it the happy list or the challenge list? It was definitely the challenge. And I almost was like, no, you can't take away those lessons I learned. Exactly. I wasn't going to let you. So most people's idea of happiness is to avoid the challenges. And those challenges are the, there to teach you how to really be happy and really being happy is not having mommy's hind tit or the perfect day. It's synthesis, thesis, my idea of my day. Someone cuts you off in traffic and smashes the right front and, and fender of your car. Antithesis, and then synthesis. I fixed my car and I learned to be a better defensive driver. Mm -hmm. And I added the fourth phase, which is rest, right? So Hegel's philosophy is thesis, antithesis synthesis but if you look at the primordial cycle that drives the entire universe and it's embedded in everything it's ohm ah ooh mm, underscore the entire universe at every level from every breath to every chemical reaction in your cell ah i awaken ooh i'm dreaming which means you're living your dream you're doing something mm, time to rest and celebrate underscore gone End of cycle. Ah, uh, thesis, I awaken. Ooh, I have a plan. It's called a dream. And remember, if you want to make God laugh, tell him you got a plan. Mm -hmm. M, celebration, completion of the goal, dreamer, objective, and you go to bed at night. Ah, uh, springtime, ooh, summertime, Mm, fall underscore winter. I love this metaphor. In our last two questions, it leads into it perfectly. Lewis asks, do you believe that masculine and feminine is a thing in 2018? And it actually brings up something on top of his question. Josh just published a video of Josh McMurtry and, and a men's group leader in our community. And it has over 100,000 views. There's getting lots of attention. And there's just, just a lot of hatred pouring into this even discussion 
around a man having masculine tendencies, a woman having feminine tendencies. There's a lot of people out there that just want to make men and women kind of the same from a polarity standpoint. Now, I disagree with that, but I'm curious how you could define polarity between men and women. Well, we both we have both polarities in us, right? It's just a small shift in the chromosomes that makes a, a, a the egg turn into a female or a male. But a man has all the female hormones in him, and a woman has all the male hormones in him. It's just a relative uh, ratio of percentage, and it has a very, very important differentiating effect on their psyche. And if you study Jungian psychology, the soul nature of a male is feminine. So the you're a man, so your anima is your soul nature, and that's the feminine inner world. And a woman's soul nature is masculine. A woman has an animus. So every woman has her masculine potential within her. And every man has his feminine potential in, in within him. I tell men, you're not truly a man until you can access your feminine. So you get all these badasses going to martial arts and kickboxing, and they just want to you know, beat their way through the world. And I say, look, the prisons are full of young men that were raised by parents that beat them all the time. And they didn't get enough of dad's love, which is his feminine potential. And a woman, a woman wants a man who knows how to love her both with feminine touch and feminine connection and masculine, uh, you know, vigor. But look, we have so many men that don't know how to uh, access their feminine side with women that now we have more lesbians than we've ever had because they can't get they can get shagged or fucked but they can't get love because too many men have lost their ability to connect to the woman as a human being and connect with their own feminine. See, their soul nature is all they got to do is become a woman inside of themselves and say, if I had a vagina, would I want it touched by a bunch of gruddy, long nails with engine grease under them? <laughs> I mean, I look at the way most men handle themselves. And, right. and so the point you see that I'm saying is yeah. the woman has to access her masculine when it's time to tell a young boy no. Don't do that. You can't do that when you have to stand up to a man, when you have to make firm decisions about the use of money, power, or control. A woman has to access her man. Like if a woman's in a business and some guy is being sexually abusive to her or disrespectful to her, if she just whimpers to everybody else, he's going to keep doing it. So she needs to be able to fire up that dragon once in a while and become a warrior or she will get eaten alive, and a man has to learn when to be more like a a, a, a nurturing mother. Yeah. And instead of using force, treat the person in front of them the way they wish they would have been treated as a child or as a teenager. And and the the women are great for men because they're wearing on the outside what we need to access on the inside. So when we're in the presence of an intelligent, beautiful woman, we're in the presence of the beauty of the divine hiding right inside of ourselves. And when a man is well put together and intelligent and capable and loving and respectful, a woman's in the presence of what lives inside of her. So through 
paying attention to people around us that exemplify a high level of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual intelligence, they're radiating at us from the outside what lives inside of us and is accessible to us at all times and teaching us the qualities we have in us. Because ultimately, there's only one mind and there's only one God, and those qualities are inside of us, and they're broken up so that we can actually engage them. Because if we were everything, then how would we know how to engage it? You know, you don't know what you have until it's gone, Yeah. right? So by separating the male and female polarities to create man and woman, we became able to be conscious of what we had within us. Remember I told you right in the beginning of the show, Rudolf Steiner says, man will continue to invent technologies outside of himself until he realizes he's just copying everything that's inside of himself. The question is, will he destroy the world first? What I'm saying is it's absolutely perfect. And if you think men and women need to be different than they are, you don't trust mother nature. And all you got to do is watch how male and female animals work together. And we're supposed to be more intelligent. You can see chimpanzees and bonobos, they fuck a lot and they fight a lot, but they don't have a lot of emotional intelligence Although you could say they have more than us because they seem to get over it, right? They don't have to go to five years of Jungian psychotherapy or take antidepressants. They say, okay, that was yesterday. Let's have some sex and start again. I think if we just trusted the perfection of nature and celebrated the uniqueness and the beauty of women and women celebrate the uniqueness and beauty of men and we're just honest about what works for them and what doesn't, right? If a woman doesn't teach a man how to engage her in ways that are nourishing for her, well, then, of course, she's going to have a hard time with men. And if a man doesn't say to a woman, this is what is appealing to me, then how do you ever know when you're compatible in a relationship, right? And I've had to learn this. I'll give you one example. One time, this is embarrassing, but I'll do it. Um, forgive me, Penny, for sharing this, if you hear this. You know, I run an institute, health institute, and and my wife works very hard, and God bless her, she's the mother of the institute. And this is when I was younger and stupider. I'm 50, I'll be 57 in August, so, you know, I was probably, I don't know, a young, dumb 40 or something. And I was in an off mood and tired and frustrated, and I came home and my wife had put on a little bit of weight and I walked in the house at the end of the day and said, you know, honey, it's frustrating for me because I can see that you're gaining weight and you know how to do everything I teach. You're an intelligent woman. I said something like, why aren't you doing that? And she looked at me and just burst into tears. And she said out through her tears, that's not how you talk to a woman. And, you know, she was so hurt and so emotional, it just disabled the asshole in me. I said, I'm sorry, honey. I said, how should I, how should I have said that? I said, you know, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just saying what's a concern to me. I, I don't want you to get sick. I don't want you to get a disease. And, and, you know, we lead an institute. I said, how could I say that better? She says, you look at me and you use your observational skills and you say, You don't say, I can see that your ass is getting too big. 
you could say, honey, I can see that you're working really hard and you don't have enough time to love and take care of yourself. Is there anything I can do to support you? And I got it. That's what a relationship's about. That's how you dance with the polarity as well. And that's what polarity's about. Mm -hmm. And that's how a man learns how to be more woman-like and how to love a woman. And women, if you're listening, you gotta be man enough to teach a man how to love and communicate to a woman. And men, if you're listening, you gotta be woman enough to stop being an asshole and acting like your father long enough to listen when she's teaching you how to love her or you will forever be going from relationship to relationship and blaming it all on somebody else until you're terribly alone and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, check. Holy shit. What an incredible podcast. I almost feel like we're going to break this in half because you went through half your library. Now, I have to ask you this question. I get to ask you this question. All right. Wellness. We always talk about physical and emotional on the yeah. show. Um, in my opinion, I think you know, from all the people that I've studied and learned over my, my 15, 16 years, I've just considered you to be the wellness godfather. Well, and I talked you. about this with, with my friends at Mind Pump as well, right? Yeah. Uh, how would you define wellness? How does Paul Check define wellness? Uh, wellness is the willingness to engage the realities of life and manage yourself so that when challenges arrive, you have a level of reserve, reserve energy, reserve nutrition on board to enter the storm. Wellness is also a much deeper concept because we forget that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so... People think wellness is the absence of disease or the absence of challenge, but that's a very immature view of wellness. And when you look at consciousness and the fact that you can have someone that's highly conscious as a pilot, but they don't know that much about food, right? Look, doctors go to medical school. The average medical doctor only gets four hours of nutrition training. So they might be a cardiac surgeon, but they don't know the three major you know, groups of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Or a doctor could be a cardiac surgeon, but he goes and buys himself a little chainsaw to start trimming some trees in the back of the yard. Next thing you know, he's in the hospital with a hand cut off because he's not very conscious about the use of power tools. So what I'm sharing is that consciousness is a 360-degree spectrum. And some of us are very conscious with the management of money. Others are very conscious with exercise. Some are very conscious with technologies such as aircraft or whatever their profession is. Some are great mechanics. So to think that because somebody gets cancer that they're not well is to be unconscious of how much there is to know to navigate the world. Do you understand that? So somebody who's well is someone who takes the opportunity to meet a crisis with an open willingness to learn what it is that spirits delivered into their life so that they can grow. And by growing and learning and asking deeper questions and taking this opportunity as a growth opportunity to know that they're going to learn a lot that they can help others with 
and then emulate it to other people the same way that they wouldn't fly an aircraft without doing a pre-flight check or they wouldn't spend money that they uh, didn't check to see if they had first. Wellness is a word that means we're willing to engage the challenges of life and use them as opportunities to become truly whole human beings. And that often comes with disease, divorce, death in the family, loss of jobs, loss of friends, about everything that you can imagine. Wellness is not an absence of disease. Wellness is a willingness to grow and to participate in your life and to cultivate the relationships with the people that have the intelligence to help make you well in the areas where you lack intelligence and to be willing to share the intelligence that you've gained with that same person who may know more about food or exercise than you but can't balance a checkbook or isn't sure what the best car to buy is. Paul, thank you for sharing your intelligence with the world and just well, thank del you. delivering on your dream. It's been absolutely incredible to, to have this 10-year journey of getting here after reading your book in 2008. Uh, here we are 10 years later, man. What an absolute pleasure. Yeah, well, thank you. I you. mean, um, I'm one guy, and right now we all have to hold hands and circle the globe yeah. and get well together, right? Yep. That's one of the challenges we face is that uh, we've gotten too heavy into the ego and to being individuals. And wellness is not something you can do alone. And a good starting point, actually, Penny was giving us a gift. This is a beautiful gift to the Wellness Force audience. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Checkinstitute.com forward slash Wellness Force. You can get the Check Healthy Core Cycle. Tell us about this. Why is well, this so valuable? The Healthy Core Cycle is basically, um, it goes through and shows you with each of the doctors, what are the things you need to be aware of that yeah. are disruptive to your core? For example, if you've got too much fat on your belly, or you've got chronic low back pain or chronic SI joint pain, or every time you try to do a deadlift, it hurts or whatever. So it's a simple questionnaire that helps you identify exactly what kinds of things disrupt core function and then gives you a little uh, section of key exercises you can use to activate the inner unit muscles to stabilize your spine and your pelvic girdle. So it'll tell you, you know, it asks you key questions about diet, gives you some tests you can do yeah. and some things you can do. And there's, you know, it's basically just uh, leading you to some awareness, but to, to get much more, my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy is loaded. Um, for those of you that are athletes and want to really do it, full-on than scientific core conditioning is the most comprehensive course in the world, which even though it's now, I don't know, 15 years old, it's still rocket science compared to the silly stuff being passed around out there. This is an awesome start though. So if this sparked, well, I already know it sparked tons of opening in your heart and mind, go to checkinstitute.com forward slash wellness force, download this guide. Paul Check, we are done. Thank you for opening our hearts and minds. Hey, thank you to all of you. Let's go smoke a bag of some tobacco and herbs and celebrate <laughs> the challenges of life. Yeah, baby. Woo! All right, that is it, my friend. Were you as floored by the clarity and gravity of Paul's definition of wellness as I was? 
You know, looking back on the production of this podcast, it was so many people involved. I'd like to thank Josh McMurtry for his incredible videography services, Colin Leibold from Leibold Media for his flyovers and the drone shots and supporting, and also Buzzy Torek from Epicast Network for his incredible audio production, and of course, our content manager, Lauren Bryant, for all the detailed posts, links, and resources every single week. This podcast with Paul does not stop here. Make sure you go to YouTube, watch all the videos for this continued conversation with Paul, and join us in a new thread in our private Facebook group at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. So if there's one thing that I know you got out of this three-part special edition is that the truth is undefeated, but it takes strength and courage to speak the truth, to live our truth. And that is how the revolution is going to happen. This revolution we need in the way we treat each other and our world. I know it seems like a platitude to say this, which is where the most powerful truths usually are, but the revolution starts with you starts with me right now in this moment, our daily health practices, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, all of our actions, they're either in alignment with our deepest truth or not. But it's funny, the one thing that's constant in this world, you know deep down, whether we acknowledge it or not, it's the truth. And that truth holds the key to setting us free. And I am so thrilled to be able to speak my truth with you and connect more. If you're new to the podcast, if you've come here from somewhere else, welcome. If you've been here since the beginning in 2015 when we started, things are about to up-level and get even more exciting as we're moving to our weekly podcast series. We're also doing a special Wellness Force Unplugged show where for 10 minutes or less, I'm gonna talk with us about the truth that's currently up for me. I'll share wellness wisdom from past and previous guests, also personal reflections and lessons so we can all take better inspired actions from that beautiful juicy place of self-love and self-trust. So until I see you again next week, real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness 